Chapter thirty two of the Small House at Allington by Anthony Trollope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shirley Comer. Chapter thirty two of the Small House at Allington, Pawkins in German Street. The show of fat beasts in London took place this year on the 20th of December, and I have always understood that a certain bullock exhibited by Lord de Guest was declared by the Metropolitan Butchers to have realized all the possible excellences of breeding, feeding, and condition. No doubt the butchers of the next half-century will have learned much better, and the Guestwick beast, could it be embalmed and then produced, would excite only ridicule at the agricultural ignorance of the present age. But Lord de Guest took the praise that was offered to him, and found himself in a seventh heaven of delight. He was never so happy as when surrounded by butchers, grazers, and salesmen, who were able to appreciate the work of his life, and who regarded him as a model nobleman. "'Look at that fellow,' he said to Ames, pointing to the prize bullock. Ames had joined his patron at the show after his office hours, looking on upon the living beef by gaslight. "'Isn't he like his sire? He was got by Lambkin, you know.' "'Lambkin,' said Johnny, who had not as yet been able to learn much about the Guestwick stock. "'Yes, Lambkin, the bull that we had the trouble with. He has got his sire's back and forequarters, don't you see?' "'I dare say,' said Johnny, who looked very hard, but could not see. "'It's very odd,' exclaimed the earl. "'But do you know, that bull has been as quiet since that day, as quiet as—as anything. I think it must have been my pocket-handkerchief.' "'I dare say it was,' said Johnny, "'or perhaps the flies.' "'Flies,' said the earl angrily. "'Do you suppose he isn't used to flies?' "'Come away. I've ordered dinner at seven, and it's past six now.' my brother-in-law colonel dale is up in town and he dines with us so he took johnny's arm and led him off through the show calling his attention as he went to several beasts which were inferior to his own and then they walked down through portman square and grosvenor square and across piccadilly to german street john ames acknowledged to himself that it was odd that he should have an earl leaning on his arm as he passed along through the street at home in his own life his daily companions were craddle and amelia roper mrs lopex and mrs roper the difference was very great and yet he found it quite as easy to talk to the earl as to mrs lopex you know the dales down in allington of course said the earl oh yes i know them but perhaps you never met the colonel i don't think i ever did he's a queer sort of fellow very well in his way but he never does anything he and my sister live in torquay and as far as i can find out they neither of them have any occupation of any sort he's come up to town now because we both had to meet our family lawyers and sign some papers but he looks on the journey as a great hardship as for me i'm a year older than he is but i wouldn't mind going up and down from guestwick every day it's looking after the bull that does it said ames by george you're right master johnny my sister and crofts may tell me what they like but when a man's out in the open air for eight or nine hours every day it doesn't much matter where he goes to sleep after that this is pawkins 
capital good house, but not so good as it used to be while old Pawkins was alive. Show Mr. Ames up to a bedroom to wash his hands. Colonel Dale was much like his brother in face, but was taller, even thinner, and apparently older. When Ames went into the sitting-room, the colonel was there alone, and had to take upon himself the trouble of introducing himself. He did not get up from his armchair, but nodded gently to the young man. "'Mr. Ames, I believe? I knew your father at Guestwick, a great many years ago.' Then he turned his face back toward the fire and sighed. "'It's got very cold this afternoon,' said Johnny, trying to make conversation. "'It's always cold in London,' said the colonel. "'If you had been here in August, you wouldn't say so.' "'God forbid,' said the colonel, and he sighed again, with his eyes fixed upon the fire. Ames had heard of the very gallant way in which Orlando Dale had persisted in running away with Lord de Guest's sister, in opposition to very terrible obstacles, and as he now looked at the intrepid lover, he thought that there must have been a great change since these days. After that nothing more was said until the earl came down. Pawkins' house was thoroughly old-fashioned in all things, and the Pawkins of that day himself stood behind the earl's elbow when the dinner began, and himself removed the cover from the soup tureen. Lord de Gas did not require much personal attention, but he would have felt annoyed if this hadn't been done. As it was, he had a civil word to say to Pawkins about the fat cattle, thereby showing that he did not mistake Pawkins for one of his waiters. Pawkins then took his lordship's order about the wine and retired. "'He keeps up the old house very well,' said the earl to his brother-in-law. "'It isn't like what it was thirty years ago, but then everything of that sort has got worse and worse.' "'I suppose it has,' said the colonel. "'I remember when old Pawkins had as good a glass of port as I've got at home, or nearly. They can't get it now, you know.' "'I never drink port,' said the colonel. "'I seldom take anything after dinner, except a little negus.' His brother-in-law said nothing, but made a most eloquent grimace as he turned his face toward his soup-plate. Ames saw it and could hardly refrain from laughing. When, at half-past nine o'clock, the colonel retired from the room, the earl, as the door was closed, threw up his hands and uttered the one word, "'Negus!' Then Ames took heart of grace and had his laughter out. The dinner was very dull, and before the colonel went to bed, Johnny regretted that he had been induced to dine at Pawkins. It might be a very fine thing to be asked to dine with an earl, and John Ames had perhaps received at his office some little accession of dignity from the circumstance, of which he had been not unpleasantly aware but as he sat at the table on which there were four or five apples and a plate of dried nuts looking at the earl as he endeavoured to keep his eyes open and at the colonel to whom it seemed absolutely a matter of indifference whether his companions were asleep or awake he confessed to himself that the price he was paying was almost too dear mrs roper's tea-table was not pleasant to him but even that would have been preferable to the dark dinginess of pawkins mahogany with the company of two tired old men with whom he seemed to have no mutual subject of conversation once or twice he tried a word with the colonel for the colonel sat with his eyes open looking at the fire but he was answered with monosyllables and it was evident to him that the colonel did not wish to talk 
to sit still with his hands closed over each other on his lap was work enough for Colonel Dale during his after-dinner hours. But the Earl knew what was going on. During that terrible conflict between him and his slumber, in which the drowsy god fairly vanquished him for some twenty minutes, his conscience was always accusing him of treating his guests badly. He was very angry with himself, and tried to arouse himself and talk, but his brother-in-law would not help him in his efforts, and even Ames was not bright in rendering him assistance. Then for twenty minutes he slept soundly, and at the end of that he woke himself with one of his own snorts. "'By George,' he said, jumping up and standing on the rug, "'we'll have some coffee,' and after that he did not sleep any more. "'Dale,' he said, "'won't you take some more wine?' "'Nothing more,' said the Colonel." "'looking at the fire and shaking his head very slowly. "'Come, Johnny, fill your glass.' "'He had already got into the way of calling his young friend Johnny, "'having found that Mrs. Ames generally spoke of her son by that name. "'I have been filling my glass all the time,' said Ames, "'taking the decanter again in his hand as he spoke. "'I'm glad you found something to amuse you, "'for it has seemed to me that you and Dale haven't had much to say to each other. "'I've been listening all the time. "'You've been asleep,' said the Colonel. "'Then there's been some excuse for my holding my tongue,' said the Earl. "'By the by, Dale, what do you think of that fellow, Crosby?' "'Ames' ears were instantly on the alert, "'and the spirit of dullness vanished from him. "'Think of him?' said the Colonel. "'He ought to have every bone in his skin broken,' said the Earl. "'So he ought,' said Ames, getting up from his chair in his eagerness, and speaking in a tone somewhat louder than was perhaps becoming in the presence of his seniors. "'So he ought, my lord. He is the most abominable rascal that ever I met in my life. I wish I was Lily Dale's brother.' Then he sat down again, remembering that he was speaking in the presence of Lily's uncle, and of the father of Bernard Dale who might be supposed to occupy the place of Lily's brother. The colonel turned his head around, and looked at the young man with surprise. "'I beg your pardon, sir,' said Ames, "'but I have known Mrs. Dale and your nieces all my life.' "'Oh, have you?' said the colonel. "'Nevertheless, it is perhaps as well not to make too free with a young lady's name. Not that I blame you in the least, Mr. Ames.' "'I should think not,' said the Earl. "'I honour him for his feelings. "'Johnny, my boy, if ever I am fortunate enough to meet that man, "'I shall tell him my mind, and I believe you will do the same.' "'On hearing this, John Ames winked at the Earl, "'and made a motion with his head toward the Colonel, "'whose back was toward him, and then the Earl winked back at Ames. "'De guest,' said the Colonel, I think I'll go upstairs. I always have a little arrowroot in my own room. I'll ring the bell for a candle, said the host. Then the colonel went, and as the door was closed behind him, the earl raised his two hands and uttered that single word, Negus. Whereupon Johnny burst out laughing, and coming to the fire, sat himself down in an armchair, which the colonel had left. "'I have no doubt it's all right,' said the Earl, "'but I shouldn't like to drink negus myself, "'nor yet to have arrowroot up in my bedroom. "'I don't suppose there's any harm in it.' "'Oh, dear, no. "'I wonder what Pawkins says about him, "'but I suppose they have them of all sorts in a hotel.' "'The waiter didn't seem to think much of it when he brought it. 
No, no, if he'd asked for senna or salts, the waiter wouldn't have showed any surprise. By the by, you touched him up about that poor girl. Did I, my lord? I didn't mean it. You see, he's Bernard Dale's father, and the question is whether Bernard shouldn't punish the fellow for what he has done. Somebody ought to do it. It isn't right that he should escape. Somebody ought to let Mr. Crosby know what a scoundrel he has made of himself. I'd do it to-morrow, only I'm afraid. No, 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 said the earl. You're not the right person at all. What have you got to do with it? You've merely known them as family friends, but that's not enough. No, I suppose not, said Ames sadly. Perhaps it's best as it is, said the earl. I don't know that any good would be got by knocking him over the head. And if we are to be Christians, I suppose we ought to be Christians. What sort of a Christian has he been? That's true enough. And if I was Bernard, I should be very apt to forget my Bible lessons about meekness. Do you know, my lord, I should think it the most Christian thing in the world to pitch into him. I should indeed. There are some things for which a man ought to be beaten black and blue. So that he shouldn't do them again? Exactly. You might say it isn't Christian to hang a man. I'd always hang a murderer. It wasn't right to hang men for stealing sheep. Much better to hang such a fellow as Crosby, said Ames. Well, I believe so. If any fellow wanted now to curry favor with the young lady, what an opportunity he'd have. Johnny remained silent for a moment or two before he answered. I'm not so sure of that, he said, mournfully as though grieving at the thought that there was no chance of currying favor with Lily by thrashing her late lover. I don't pretend to know much about girls, said Lord de Guest, but I should think it would be so. I should fancy that nothing would please her so much as hearing that he had caught it, and that all the world knew that he'd caught it. The earl had declared that he didn't know much about girls, and in saying so, he was no doubt right. If I thought so, said Ames, I'd find him out tomorrow. Why so? What difference does it make to you? Then there was another pause, during which Johnny looked very sheepish. You don't mean to say that you're in love with Miss Lily Dale? I don't know much about being in love with her, said Johnny, turning very red as he spoke. And then he made up his mind, in a wild sort of way, to tell all the truth to his friend. Pawkins' port wine may, perhaps, have had something to do with the resolution. But I'd go through fire and water for her, my lord. I knew her years before he had ever seen her, and have loved her a great deal better than he will ever love any one. When I heard that she had accepted him, I had half a mind to cut my own throat, or else his. Heidi, tidy, said the earl. It's very ridiculous, I know, said Johnny, and of course she would never have accepted me. I don't see that at all. I haven't a shilling in the world. Girls don't care much for that. And then a clerk in the income tax office. It's such a poor thing. The other fellow was only a clerk in another office. The earl, living down at Guestwick, did not understand that the income tax office in the city and the general committee office in Whitehall were as far apart as Dives and Lazarus, and separated by as impassable a gulf. Oh, yes, said Johnny, but his office is another kind of thing, and then he was a swell himself. By George, I don't see it, said the earl. 
I don't wonder a bit at her accepting a fellow like that. I hated him the first moment I saw him, but that's no reason she should hate him. He had that sort of manner, you know. He was a swell, and girls like that kind of thing. I never felt angry with her, but I could have eaten him. As he spoke, he looked as though he would have made some such attempt had Crosby been present. "'Did you ever ask her to have you?' said the Earl. "'No. How could I ask her when I haven't bread to give her?' "'And you never told her that you were in love with her? I mean, and all that kind of thing?' "'She knows it now,' said Johnny. "'I went to say good-bye to her the other day, when I thought she was going to be married. I could not help telling her then.' But it seems to me, my dear fellow, that you ought to be very much obliged to Crosby. That is to say, if you've a mind to. I know what you mean, my lord. I am not a bit obliged to him. It's my belief that all this will about kill her. As to myself, if I thought she'd ever have me... Then he was again silent, and the earl could see that the tears were in his eyes. I think I begin to understand, said the earl. "'and I'll give you a bit of advice. "'You come down and spend your Christmas with me at Guestwick. "'Oh, my lord!' "'Never mind my lording me, but do as I tell you. "'Lady Julia sent you a message, "'though I forgot all about it till now. "'She wants to thank you herself for what you did in the field. "'That's all nonsense, my lord. "'Very well, you can tell her so. "'You may take my word for this, too. "'My sister hates Crosby quite as much as you do.' i think she'd pitch into him as you call it herself if she knew how you come down to guestwick for the christmas and then go over to allington and tell them all plainly what you mean i couldn't say a word to her now say it to the squire then go to him and tell him what you mean holding your head up like a man don't talk to me about swells the man who means honestly is the best swell i know he's the only swell i recognize go to dale and say you come from me from guestwick manor tell him that if he'll put a little stick under the pot to make it boil i'll put a bigger one he'll understand what that means oh no my lord but i say oh yes and the earl who was now standing on the rug before the fire dug his hands deep into his trouser pockets i'm very fond of that girl and would do much for her you asked lady julia if i didn't say so to her before i ever knew of your casting any sheep's eyes that way and i've a sneaking kindness for you too master johnny lord bless you i knew your father as well as i ever knew any man and to tell the truth i believe i helped to ruin him he held land of me you know and there can't be any doubt that he did ruin himself he knew no more about a beast when he'd done than 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 that waiter if he'd gone on to this day he wouldn't have been any wiser johnny sat silent with his eyes full of tears what was he to say to his friend you come down with me, continued the earl, and you'll find we'll make it all straight. I dare say you're right about not speaking to the girl just at present, but tell everything to the uncle, and then to the mother, and above all things, never think that you're not good enough yourself. A man should never think that. My belief is that in life, people will take you very much at your own reckoning. If you are made of dirt, like that fellow Crosby, you'll be found out at last, no doubt. But then I don't think you are made of dirt. I hope not. And so do I. You can come down, I suppose, with me the day after tomorrow. 
I'm afraid not. I have had all my leave. Shall I write to old Buffle and ask it as a favor? No, said Johnny. I shouldn't like that. But I'll see tomorrow, and then I'll let you know. I can go down by the mail train on Saturday at any rate. That won't be comfortable. See and come with me if you can. Now good night, my dear fellow, and remember this. When I say a thing, I mean it. I think I may boast that I never yet went back from my word. The earl, as he spoke, gave his left hand to his guest, and looking somewhat grandly up from over the young man's head, he tapped his own breast thrice with his right hand. As he went through the little scene, John Ames felt that he was every inch an earl. "'I don't know what to say to you, my lord. Say nothing.' Not a word more to me, but say to yourself that faint heart never won, fair lady. Good night, my dear boy. Good night. I dine out tomorrow, but you can call and let me know at about six. Ames then left the room without another word and walked out into the cold air of German Street. The moon was clear and bright, and the pavement in the shining light seemed to be as clean as a lady's hand. All the world was altered to him since he had entered Pawkins Hotel. Was it then possible that Lily Dale might even yet become his wife? Could it be true that he, even now, was in a position to go boldly to the squire of Allington and tell him what were his views with reference to Lily? And how far would he be justified in taking the earl at his word? Some incredible amount of wealth would be required before he could marry Lily Dale, two or three hundred pounds a year at the very least. The earl could not mean him to understand that any such sum as that would be made up from such an object. Nevertheless, he resolved, as he walked back to Burton Crescent, that he would go down to Guestwick, and that he would obey the earl's behest. As regarded Lily herself, he felt that nothing could be said to her for many a long day as yet. "'Oh, John, how late you are,' said Amelia, slipping out from the back parlor as he let himself in with his latch-key. "'Yes, I am. Very late,' said John, taking his candle and passing her by on the stairs without another word." End of chapter 32 of The Small House at Allington by Anthony Trollope